When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The information presented in this program is not intended as legal, health, or nutritional advice. All topics are provided for informational purposes only and are not necessarily endorsed. Neither LightOn nor its host accepts responsibility for any statements, views, or opinions presented in this episode. All rights reserved. It feels like all our heroes are coming. We all know why. Because it's painful enough to pretend. The world itself is just one big hoax. Okay. Welcome to the show, Lynn. Lynn Monet. Um, I'll let you start off by, I guess, explaining or describing yourself. I had Jerry Marzinski on the show and he had, you know, a lot of really interesting information and he suggested you uh, being a, a nurse um, that has worked in after or I want to keep wanting to say afterlife care. I want to say well it, basically yeah it can be that too. Basically afterlife <laughs> care, but end of life care. Um so I thought that was super fascinating. So um where did describe yourself and, and tell me how your experiences started for you basically. Well um I've had gifts ever since I was little. Um growing up we lived three short blocks behind a hospital that was connected to back then what they called nursing homes are now called skilled living facilities and on the opposite side of that there were Indian mounds so it was commonplace for my siblings and I to see uh, people in patient gowns and spears of Indians just walking through the house I mean it was like oh well there's a door there's a toaster there's a dead person you know so we were we were used to it now i was raised back in the 70s so that's just not exactly something that you brought up and discussed because you would literally have men with white coats picking you up taking you to the hospital for a lobotomy but um one of the main things that really really um stuck with me is there was a there was a for instance that my brother and i were in my parents master bedroom at the same time and i was in my mother's jewelry box putting my mother's jewelry on, beautifying myself. And I turned to show my brother who was playing with his cars on the floor, how glamorous I had made myself. And he was fixated on this corner of the room. And so I turned to look to see what he was looking at. And there was this misting, which I since have learned is called ectoplasm. It usually comes with as portals uh, for spirits to come forth or even for things to use to go in and out of for that matter. And in that portal stepped in my brother's best friend, John, his John's mother, father, and brother. And they're just standing in the, the mist, smiling at us. So my brother gets up, he's seven and I'm five years old. So we were little. And so he runs out of the bedroom calling for my mom. I run out of the bedroom in the opposite direction looking for my mom. And of course, my brother finds her first. And um, he I, he's telling her, he's like, mom, mom, John's here and his family. And she's like, really? She's like, I didn't even hear anybody knock. And he says, and they're in your bedroom. And she's like, they're in my bedroom. Who let them in my bedroom? So when they came to the bedroom, of course, there was nothing there. And my brother got in trouble for it. And of course, I kept my mouth shut because 
I didn't want to get in trouble too. And, uh, and it had, and, and, and that's what happened with that. But the very, very next day, um, it was the first day after spring break and the kids were returning to school and my brother was on the bus and he, he sat with John on the bus and John wasn't there that day. Uh, we knew that his family, that John's family had taken a trip to Disney World or Bush Gardens or something, um, something in Florida and uh, for the for the holiday, for the spring break holiday. So John wasn't there. So then my brother got to his classroom and his desk was side by side with John. And again, John was not there. And then the teacher after the Pledge of Allegiance stood up in front of the class and stated that John would not be returning to school because he and his entire family perished in an auto accident. And it happened that day. It happened the day that my brother and I saw them in the room. It was like he was coming to say goodbye. And how so old at this point? I was I was five years old and my brother was seven. Okay. So, so my, my family has gifts. Um, we actually get them from my father, which usually it's the mom. But... Um, uh, we we do get them from my father, but again, it wasn't something that was talked about. So um, I was raised Presbyterian, and when I was about 10 years old, my mom took a jaunt with the Jehovah's Witnesses, which is a book in itself, but we won't go there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was still seeing things, and my mother took me in front of the elders of the church, and there were like eight of them and me in the middle and they're they're telling me that what i'm seeing is demons that i'm possessed that there's something a matter with me that i'm going to die in armageddon and i was horrified i'm a little girl standing in front of all of these men you know being told all of these things you know and telling me that i'm lying and this sort of thing so i became afraid of my gifts and even though I would still see things, I would run out of the room just as fast as anybody else. Say, oh, it's a ghost. You know, I'd start running because I thought it was a demon or something that was going to eat me alive. And so coming forward, I um, purchased a house in East Flat Rock, North Carolina, uh, as a single mother with two children. And that house was so haunted that I never moved in. I... um but the thing about the house was is that it connected me with people of like mind while I was trying to get help to try to, you know, have the house, um, have the spirits removed from the house. There were two demons and a young man that had hung himself in the house. And the thing about that is, is that the house was built in the 1970s. So it's not about the age of the house it's about the age of the ground that it's built on. And there's ley lines and vortexes and things like that. So a brand new house can be haunted if it's built in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the negative actions that occur in a home are caused by the spirits that exist there. It's not not always that the spirits are brought in because of the behavior. The spirits, the negative spirits are usually there first. So um with that being said, I, I went ahead and I, I started writing a book called Omnipresent, of which is going to end up being a five book series, maybe more all true stories of events that have occurred. And um, I also then wrote as a nurse, I've been a nurse for over 25 years, 70, um, not 75, <laughs> um, 17 of which have been in end of life care. So I've seen hundreds of people pass away. And I've seen because of my ability um, just to back up a little bit, because of my ability to have second sight that was validated 
meeting up with people of like mind with that haunted house issue, I then realized I wasn't such a weirdo and that there were other people like me with even more gifts. So I now embraced my gifts and I started to, um, you know, not be afraid of, of things anymore. So when, when I started, um, when I started writing the books um, about, about those things and about different things that had occurred in the house, I also uh, have written, I've got the third one coming out. I have the fourth one that is almost finished in that series of various things that have happened. But as a nurse working in end-of-life care and seeing hundreds of people pass away, as there is a dark side to paranormal, there's also a white side to paranormal, which is a very beautiful um, things that occur when people are passing and even being able to be there when the um, person, the patient is actually uh, rallying, what we call rallying in the medical field where they are transitioning, they're kind of testing the, you know, the, the, the different the going back and forth and uh, until they finally end up crossing. And during that period of time, they have periods of lucidity where they're bright and talkative and, um, what is that, that sort of that thing like sorry to interrupt like when you say back and forth what does that look like exactly to me i can see them going back and forth and hovering above their body to a person that does not have my abilities it's that period of time where you might go into a room with a person that is actively transitioning you know that their time is coming and they're very they're impossible to rouse yet their eyes are sometimes half open, sometimes fully closed, and their their toes and stuff are kind of flaccid, and they're they're laying there, and you can't get them to wake up yet. They're still breathing, and their heart is still beating. And then all of a sudden, you'll see their toes perk, their eyes will brighten up, and then they'll start talking to you. So there are periods of time where they kind of then go back into body, and they'll start even talking to you sometimes about things that they've seen on the other side. I've had that happen many, many times of some beautiful stories that of women who didn't know that they, they could have children and found out, you know, that there were babies waiting to come in for them that actually did come in for them. Um, that turned out to be true because I was able to follow up with them at a later time due to where I was working. They had other relatives that came through, so I would see them coming through pregnant. Um, but also they would talk about the beautiful angels and seeing loved ones coming forward. And a lot of times too, this would even happen as much as is a year in, in advance. They would start talking about those things. And I'll be happy to share some of those stories with you. Um, in addition to that, I went back to further my degree as a nurse and I had to do a psychiatric rotation now with this renewed gift of second sight where I wasn't afraid and running off on things anymore. And I started to notice that in the facility that there were people that were diagnosed with schizophrenia that had attachments on them. I have one, for instance, of a story that, you know, I'll be happy to share with you also um, whenever you're ready. Sure. And also noticing the difference between what the attachments on the person with schizophrenia and the person with addiction has, because they each have a different type. The thing about schizophrenia is the attachments are usually disembodied souls. They're not invited to attach. They're like parasites. But the, the difference being that somebody with an addiction and their archon that attaches that look like spiders, crabs, or kind of um, lizard 
lizard-like, sometimes with a longer tail, like an alligator, sometimes a human buttocks, depending on that. And I don't know if it's the luck of the draw that if you do pills, it's one. If you do alcohol, it's another. I have no idea. There's certain, but I could, certain things. Yeah, yes, but they're different than the ones on a person with schizophrenia. So, um, and those, like, as I mentioned, with schizophrenia, they're not invited. With addiction, they are invited. And that's where the difference is. Um, people, you know, that, that they, you know, they don't realize the long-term effects of what some of their addictive behaviors cause and what it, how it's going to cause difficulty for them down the road. Mm-hmm. So um, I did end up writing the book, Colors of Heaven, Beginnings Never End, hoping to take the stigma away from death and dying for people. I'm, I was hoping to bring comfort to people who maybe have lost a loved one or maybe have been diagnosed with a terminal illness to kind of bring them that comfort and that, that um, to take, well, to take away the fear of dying. And also, you know, a lot of times too, when people are in that mode of they've just been uh, diagnosed with something terminally ill as a nurse, I would go into their homes doing care management. I did that for three years as well. And they would just be in bed in fetal position waiting for death. And I would I would sit down with them and I would say, listen, you have a window of opportunity here to get your things in order for your loved ones. You know, this is time. This isn't time to wait for death. This is time to get your things in order. And, you know, these people would sometimes even live as long as, as six months. And they would just lay there waiting for that. But with, you know, my talking to them, they would then start to get things in order. You know, they'd get that that roof repair done for their wife and they'd get them driving lessons if that's what they needed and show them how to balance a checkbook if they didn't know how and making lists of, you know, who to contact for their life insurance policy and numbers and, and letting them know a lot of the things that they didn't know to get it all in order. Mm. But um so I went ahead and I wrote a section like that in my book, too. In each of the books that I've written, there's something unique about them. In the back, there's always a self-help section of some form that pertains to the contents within within the uh, book. Um, I have another book, too, that I've written called The Gap, What Else Your Adolescent and Teen Needs to Know, which isn't really on this this topic, but it is something that I had a counselor uh, when I was looking for a book for my own daughter that went beyond the birds and the bees and talked more about things like what to do if a condom breaks, you know, what, you know, don't wear stinky sneakers on your first date. Cause I don't care how beautiful or handsome you are. If you're stuck in a car with somebody with smelly shoes, it's not attractive, <laughs> you know, and on your date, get off your phone. If you don't know what to say, turn on some music, you know, then, then that kind of, then that starts a whole nother conversation. So since everybody's so into their, there, we, we all have cell phone addictions, I me included. So we, we can't be without our phones. But so I went ahead and I wrote that as well. And I've got coming up a sequel to Colors of Heaven after my sister passed away, seeing her come out of her body. And also another um, book where recently I have had to deal with something spiritual that I didn't even know existed and found out how, having to do with the elemental uh, realm as well if we can go back a little bit lynn um how would you classify all these different entities that you see because um 
you know, like how would you classify demons for one? And and what are you know, is there a difference between demons and evil spirits? And you know, how do you classify them? You know, I I have seen a hell dog up close and personal because there were two demons and the young man that had hung himself in the house. And the thing is, is about people if they recognize that there's a ghost in their house, the first thing they'll do is they'll contact me and they'll say, There's a demon in my house. But 99% of the time, it's not a demon. It's either a disembodied soul, maybe a poltergeist, something that has also self-created some of these shadow things that you see slithering snakes going across the floor, or fluttering ovoid things. Sometimes they even look like silhouettes of people that are man. Those are man-made and those can be dissipated easily. However, if they're allowed to mature, they make platforms for more negative things to step in, like, almost like a portal type thing. Talking about like so, words that we create out of from our own energy. Yes, yes. Like if you go, it's always a good idea when you go into a new living space to clear it, to neutralize the energy in the house. Because sometimes, if you take pictures, you can see some of the bubbles accumulated. And I know some people say that they're dust, so do it before you walk through the house. But like there was a house that I had purchased and in the family room, there was just like this layer after layer of bubbles, like in a rectangle over this one area where a couch probably sat. So they were imprints left of thoughts and fighting. I mean, you if you would walk through it, all of a sudden you would feel agitated, you know, so that had to be balanced and cleared because it was somebody else's leftovers that, you know, that you might react you know, in a way that you wouldn't normally react by walking through that and picking that up. So like energetic imprints. like Yes, ener exactly. That's a good way to put it. Energetic imprints. And they are left. And that's why it's imp important, you know, to um, yeah, clear your space and, and to keep your, your energetic field also clear uh, that way, which a lot of people, you know, you shower and you wash, but you don't take care of your art field. <laughs> And yeah. that's what protects you from the attachments. Yeah, well, people are sort of, I mean, ignorant of the whole spiritual aspect of everything, which is what I like to to get to because we're, you know, we're so accustomed to only the physical, right? Um, mm -hmm. How do you recommend people do that when you talk about clearing energy and all that? Okay, um, clearing as in a living space or clearing as in on themselves, their own body both. or both? Yeah. Okay. As far as the thing that people need to realize that that they need to do even before they start any, of course, they need to start with themselves. But a lot of times there are behaviors that they have that draw the negativity in. And I've told people before when I've gone, sometimes when I've gone to their house, you know, I walk through and there's a stack of penthouse or Playboy or I find a bong in the back of the couch and I'm like, look. This isn't based from religion religious beliefs. This is based from what I know. Um, there's no sense in me clearing your house because I do it for free. You know, there's no sense in me coming and spending days or hours in your house exhausting myself while you have that in here because it's going to roll out the red carpet for the things to come right back after I'm gone. So there is some some behavioral changes that need to be made. And also having the gift of second sight, people would people would run screaming if they saw how many dead spirits on their cigarette break or in the bar 
you know, for cocktail hour are standing around you just trying to either sniff your drink or to even some of them imprint into you so that they can experience that. And I, and I say smell and people are like, oh, well, they can't smell. When you cross over, well, when you die, because you don't have to cross over, you can choose to cross over or not. When you don't choose to cross over, you still have your mental illness, you still have your addiction, your, your cause of death shows. Um, as a matter of fact, I had a ghost one time and he had a Swiss cheese appearance to his abdomen, which to me indicated that he died of a corrosive uh, disease like cancer or maybe cirrhosis of the liver. Um, and so you keep all of your senses as well. And in the case of smelling, because you don't have an olfactory nerve, obviously you're not embodied for that. It is a memory recall type thing, um, which I've, I've learned uh, with my mother who's on the other side when we were talking about food one day. And she was talking about how they did everything there by thought. And when they would want to go somewhere, they would think of it and they would just instantaneously be there. But like in the case of something like food, um, they would think of it and it the sensation and flavor of it would come to them as if they were eating it, even though there wasn't a food source available. So that's a good thing for Ben and Jerry's if you like it and there's no calories. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I heard you on <laughs> another podcast and I was like, oh, that sounds like <laughs> that sounds yeah. like eat whatever you want. I know, one. right? <laughs> <laughs> so um I think you mentioned alcohol. I think alcohol is such a big one for uh, attachments and all that. Can you unpack some of that? Because I have experienced sort of losing people to to alcohol, and they they turned into completely different people. Um, I mean, to the degree that it's just scary, and I don't even know how to explain it to this day. You know, the thing about addiction and the archons that attach, and just to explain a little bit about about them. Um, as I said, they they appear crab-like some of them like spiders some of them more reptilian um the worst ones are the crabs are the hardest ones to to get off i don't know why that is and the thing that's very distinct about them is they have a head that is much smaller in proportion to their body and where they connect is they connect at the top of the shoulders clasping underneath the armpit and then their feet kind of go onto the hip area and the way that the spider does is it doubles up two and two and two and two for the eight legs. So it's, it's connected in, in those areas with two legs in each spot. So similar with the crab, but the crab's got one, one more connection. Um, and they have this, this flap thing on their head that attaches at the top of their head like a fin and comes out and attaches at the nape. And it's but it's not rigid like a shark or a dolphin, it's floppy. And the reason why I know this is because when a person does come to terms with their addiction, the archons will detach, but they never leave. And this is the part that makes alcohol treatment so extremely difficult because that archons had a good thing and they are creatures of habit. They don't like change. And if they've had a good thing going, they feed off of the negativity that the alcoholism or drug addiction causes within the family, such as maybe job loss or infidelity for that matter, or um, wrecking the car, you know, so many other things that would create that rippling effect of negativity throughout the family, maybe even throughout the, the neighborhood and the archons feed off of that. 
and it enables them to do more physical acts. Uh, just like with negative spirits that haven't crossed over, they feed on that negativity. Um, that's their candy. So they linger in the household where the person is. And you can see the, the archons if you have the gift of second sight. And they literally stay up near the ceiling line. You'll see them hopping across. My brother had a reptilian uh, archon on his back with a human buttocks type thing. I've actually drawn a picture of that in one of my books. And it would proceed, even though he had been clean for 16 years, that thing would precede him in my house. Any time that he was planning to come up from Florida to South Carolina to visit, and it wasn't only me seeing it, my kids would see it. So I, my son would be like um, Uncle Ray's, um, uh, whatever they called it, uh, his monkey man is is here. So Uncle Ray must be coming up to visit. And I'm like, you know what? I thought I saw it too. And then, you know, then I noticed it later on. And lo and behold, my brother would call the next day and say, oh, well, we're planning on coming up and seeing you and mom. So it would precede him. Once he would arrive, it would disappear. But I also saw it in his house when I went to visit. And the thing is, is it's constantly whispering in your ear, trying to entice you, trying to make you trip up so that you go back to being on that substance so that they can reattach and continue to feed. They're like a parasite. And again, the hardest part, as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, people with schizophrenic attachments, they, they're, they're innocent of how that happens. Sometimes usually a trauma-based thing will kind of make cracks in their windshield, their arc field, their windshield that we were talking about in the beginning that's so important for people to, to maintain. But with the case of addiction, it's something invited. So, I mean, you become addicted by using a substance that you know, or misusing a substance that you know you're not supposed to. So, I mean, it's not that people shouldn't drink, but, you know, there's a limit to that. You know, drinking every day? No, you know. Drinking just on the weekends, maybe as long as you're not polishing off two six packs, you know what I'm saying? And and drinking more in, in moderation and not being so soused that you can't drive yourself, you know, but to, to be within parameters. Yeah. So um, that that's that is the the difference when people ask what is the difference between that. Plus, the attachments look different. Um, one looks more like clustered grapes and that are. Anyway, I can, I can explain that to you too, but you wanted to know about the addiction thing and that's how that works. And that is why it is so hard for them to overcome and stay. It is so important that they do stick with some kind of a support group or some kind of a program to help them stay clean. Or even if they're mentoring someone else that they're trying to help stay clean, it, it, it is important that they do that because that archon never goes away it never, will detach clear one completely never never goes away once it's been invited in it never leaves wow and that that that's the part that makes it so bad because even if they've been sober for 25 years and they they trip up that one time you know ugh, you know they're they're asking they're asking for it you hear really really are too like you with celebrities right who was that actor i can't think of his name now um but, you know, he didn't use heroin for like years and years. And then just one day went back to using it and, and died. Um, yeah, that happens a lot. And you, you mentioned the reptilian ones. Is that the same sort of reptilians that people talk about, like David Icke talks about and all that? Or are those different? They're, they're a little bit different um, because of 
the, the difference is, is the shape of the head. Uh, the reptilian things that are patched, they fit like little neat backpacks on a person's back. Mm -hmm. And you can sometimes see the head peering from either side or else it aligns with the head if they're, they're turned at a profile um, with a side view. But you'll see it peeking out sometimes, usually more so over one side than the other. And it's whispering in the person's ear, trying to entice them, you know, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just open the bottle and smell it. Uh, it's not going to hurt if you, well, maybe just one one taste you know type thing they're constant or they're they're oh you've had a rough day you just need to sit down and have a good drink and oh one more is not going to hurt one more is not going to hurt you know and on and on type thing so it's it's the addiction cheerleader basically is what it is and it's it is it's hard that's what makes it so hard although i've recently been um talking to some people and they're finding that in some of the rehab programs that meditation is starting to work with helping take the feeling of the need to have the drug. So even if it's just three to five minutes a day, people, addicts are commenting on the fact that, you know, because they never brought medically, they don't bring stuff in that spiritual like meditation, they bring in drugs, you know, Oh, well, here, you know, you got a pill for that. And then you need six pills for the side effects of the first pill. So they treat it with their little checklist, but they're not touching the spiritual part of it. The emotional part, they dope people up with antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. You know, so again, they're not touching in with that very, very important spiritual part that we all have. They don't even acknowledge it right. in the medical field. And that's that's where... Um, Dr. Jerry Marvinsky, um, you know, he and I kind of connected because I'm like, I was listening to something, uh, one of the shows that he did, and, and somebody had mentioned him to me and said, you ought to talk to this guy. So I reached out to him, and he's amazing um, what he's doing, the work that he's doing. Uh, he's a trailblazer, and I totally concur with everything that he says. What he feels, I see. Mm -hmm. So that's where we kind of connected up together and I'm um, hoping to, to, you know, to help, to help people without the medication understand what they have going on and how they can remedy some of it. Yeah, some of his transcripts were amazing. He read some transcripts on, on my episode with him and, you know, he described how the voices in these patients heads would tell them to go places and do things. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought, but um, what was I going to say? Anyway, continue. Sorry, I'll remember. Well, no, no, that's okay. You know, when I, I, I'll be happy to share the story um, in the, in the facility that I was in. Um, just to back up a little bit, the haunted house that I had originally purchased, um, my best friend was clawed to the point of bleeding as she stood next to me as this portal moved in on us. I mean, she had a four inch claw mark on her back between her shoulder blades and one on her stomach that was caused by something invisible in the room. So I'm mentioning that because when I did my rotation through the psychiatric ward, there were eight of us, there were eight students that went in with a teacher and we were standing there waiting for the teacher to come back with our assignments. And there was a young girl in there that was in her early twenties and she, came over to the group and she pointed at me and she said, you can help me. I know you can. And of course I'm like, 
looking over my shoulder. I'm like, oh God, I hope she's not talking to me. You know, I wanted to be Lynn, the student nurse that day, not Lynn, the weirdo. So um, we were then ushered out into another room and the teacher's like, don't make eye contact, don't speak to them. And I got placed back into this room with one other nurse. And the thing about this room was, is that it was the intake area. So we literally had to sign papers to agree to go in there just in case somebody harmed us in some way, threw something at us, bit us, whatever, and that the facility wouldn't be held responsible. So they had these picnic benches that were literally uh, picnic tables with the benches attached that were bolted to the floor. And I'm sitting at one with my fellow nurse and we're making our notations um, on our patients and our charts. And the young woman comes over and she sits down with us and she's, um, and again, this is the intake area. She's only been there for maybe six hours. They're trying to get her medication balanced. She had on a pair of shorts and a, um, a tank top with spaghetti straps that was midriff. So you could see her stomach, you could see her legs, you could see her arms, part of her upper back. And this poor woman uh, was covered in claw marks. And I recognized the claw marks because of what I saw happen to my friend in the house. And it looked the same. So as she's sitting down there, I mean, she had them coming out of her ear, out of her nose. She was talking about how she hears 25 different voices, about how uh, they, they keep scratching her, that one of them even has a long fingernail that was get, scratching the inside of her female parts, and that the facility was claiming that these were self-inflicted. And I'm looking at this woman, and I'm like, there is no way. I mean, at the angle that some of them were and where they were located, it, she would have had to dislocate her shoulders to reach that far. I mean, she would have had to have been a contortionist to be able to, to inflict those on herself in some of those places it would have been impossible. So she was called away. They have periods of time in the, in the psychiatric wards where they go to group counseling or they meet with their social worker or their psychiatrist to you know talk about how they're feeling on their medication. And she, it was time for her to do that. They had called her away. And as she got up and she started walking away, she got maybe about 10, 10, 12 feet away from me. And I'm looking at her and it looked like she had these misshapen like potatoes, but they were clustered together on her back like grapes. She had this, this thing that kind of connected at the top of her shoulder and it looked like a twisted horn, kind of a brownish tan gray color. And um, so as I'm watching her walk away, I'm like, she overall each shoulder like Santa Claus bags. And I'm like, oh my God. That woman really is hearing 25 different voices. She's got attachments on her back. So when she returned to her room after her meeting, I, I went to her room and I told her, I said, listen, I said, what I'm about to say, if you repeat it, they're going to think that you're crazier. I said, and they're going to keep you here longer. I said, but I believe that you are hearing 25 different voices. You've got attachments on your back. And the thing was, is her her face facial expression kind of contorted and she turned to walk away from me. And I wasn't going to do it because I had personal things in my life at the time that I was dealing with. And you do have to go through a preparation before you do this sort of thing to protect yourself because they can attach to you. You know, you don't want to take these things home with you. 
But something just overcame me and I took my fingers and I put them underneath on her shoulders and I pulled them off. And she immediately turned around and she said, it felt like you were pulling grass off my back. She didn't know that I was taking them off and I'm stomping them into the ground. They're kind of rolling around. I'm stepping on them. Some of them rolled over by her bed. And I told her, I said, look, this is a temporary fix. I didn't get all of them, but I got the bulk of them off. When you leave here, you need to go and find someone that can help you get the rest of these things off. You know, you need to find it as somebody that works with energy, somebody that can can do this sort of thing. You know, a lot of times people say a priest or whatever, but that's not always the go-to. Sometimes, to be honest, it makes it worse. Mm. So, but you you need to go and, and find, but, but any effort is better than none, you know, because of the intention that goes with it. So about a year later, I'm in Walmart. And I see these two young women standing at the end of the aisle and I'm squatting down looking at candles and they're looking at me and they're whispering. So of course I'm checking myself, you know, for toilet paper on my shoe or maybe my zipper was down, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, why are they whispering and looking at me? And I heard the one girl say to the other, I know that that's her. So she ended up walking over and she, I stood up and she said, you know, and at first I thought, oh yeah, she's read my books. Maybe it's a fan, you know, so but she's standing there and she said, do you remember me? And her face looked familiar, but she looked so different because when she was in the facility, she was probably about 30 pounds heavier. Her skin was an ashen color because she was being fed off of by these parasites and her hair was very, very short. So I, I couldn't place her, but I, but yet she was familiar. And she said, you're the nurse that helped me. And then the light bulb went on and I'm like, oh my gosh. She had this beautiful blonde bob. Her skin looked great. She had lost like 30 pounds. And she was telling me that after she left the facility, that she went and found someone to help her remove the rest of the attachments. And now she was only taking a low dose of anxiety medication as needed, and that she was off all of her schizophrenic medication, and that she wasn't having the problems anymore. She was actually getting ready to go into her second year of dental hygiene school or she was you know in get, getting ready to go into that part of it or looking to so her life completely turned around with that but you know being there a whole week that was only one of the days and there was another day that we were taken to a section where there were people that were basically forgotten um literally these people were placed in this area of the room to stay there until they finally died their families didn't come around to see them anymore. Um, they were basically just dumped there. And, and they, you know, one of the nurses said, well, you know, nobody comes here to visit. So she, they were happy to have the student nurses in there for a little while, you know, to kind of give some, some other human contact besides, you know, just each other. And there was this lady that was sitting at this round table and she's having this conversation. She's, uh, she has her cup of coffee and she's being very polite and she's offering coffee. And the nurse says, she says, oh, well, that's so-and-so. And she's talking to her invisible friends that aren't there. Well, the one thing that about it is if you would listen to her conversation, it was like she was on a telephone talking to someone, making sense. It was not this vocabulary salad. She was making sense about what she was communicating. And you could almost get the gist of what the person's comment back to her was by the way she was responding. 
and they were clear. I mean, it was clear what it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't like a mishmash of, of words. Right. And I'm looking at her and the nurse is like, well, there's nobody there. And I'm like, oh, no, there's, yeah, there's three other people sitting there with her that were spirits that were sitting with her at that table that she was having this conversation with and being polite and offering them coffee. And would you like some cream with your coffee? you know, type thing. And, but I couldn't say anything because I didn't want to be admitted. You know, they would have put me in there for what I was seeing and claiming to see. So this sort of thing you know, happens a lot. I um, started walking around the facility and I'd ask my fellow nurses, I would be like, by chance does your patient have uh, schizophrenia? And they'd be like, well, yeah, you know, how'd you know? And I'm like, oh, I just wondered because I could see the attachments that were on them and they looked different. And there was only one time that I got it wrong and it was because the person was a combination thing. They had schizophrenia, plus they were also um, addicted to a substance. So it was kind of a combination thing. So I, I got that one wrong because I, you know, I had never seen that sort of sort of thing. But um, that that's how I... Um, when I reached out to to Jerry to talk to him about what I had experienced and his work validated what I knew and mine validated what he knew. So we kind of came together in that way. Would you say that a lot of um, disease, like maybe more common diseases are, are spiritual in nature as well? You know, I believe in, in what I've seen. And again, People don't pay attention to their art field, which can ward these things off more so. But I had a, for instance, with my daughter when we were going through that haunted house issue. And my daughter, she was like in middle school, maybe sixth grade, and she was complaining about severe shoulder pain in her shoulder in, this, in the center part of her back. And I thought, well, no wonder, you know, that, that book bag that you have to tote every day to and from school weighs about 50 pounds. That's a lot to put on a, a person that, that weighs like, you know, 80 pounds or 90 pounds at the most. That's more than, you know, more than half of their body weight. Yeah. So I uh, got her a rolling backpack, thinking that that would help alleviate the pain in her shoulder. And there was one weekend in particular, I, I was working a Baylor shift on the weekend so I could be home Monday through Friday with my kids and be a soccer mom on Saturdays. I was working a night shift. But there was one weekend in particular that my daughter was really, really complaining about the pain and the Tylenol and the Advil just the heating pad just wasn't helping her at all. And it wasn't that she was drug seeking. She didn't even know that that was an option. We didn't have those kinds of drugs in our house mm -hmm. you know we had advil and tylenol um tylenol so i i called in to stay home because i was going to take her to the emergency room i thought you know what for it to be that maybe it's an aneurysm or maybe it's some tumor or something on there may i i, I think at this point that i should take her you know into an emergency room just in and find out what is going on because she's still complaining of this pain that particular day she fell asleep and of course, if you have children, then you know when a baby's sleeping or a kid's sleeping, you don't disturb them. You know, you take that to have a little bit of time for yourself. I figured if she was finally comfortable enough to fall asleep, that maybe the Advil or whatever had kicked in and was helping her a little bit. But I still was planning on that that Monday or Tuesday calling, you know, that Monday calling the doctor 
to get into the office with them. And it just so happened that um, they couldn't see her until Tuesday. So Monday, I kept her home with me. And I had this lady that was American Indian that was supposed to meet me at the house to try to attempt to um, put the demons in their place and to help the young man cross over, of which we did help the young man cross over. And my daughter's sitting out in front, and it was this big half-acre lot, so the the driveway recessed in, and the, the front of the house, you could see it, but it was kind of a distance away, so she couldn't really hear what we were talking about. And the lady, first of all, she told me if my house had been built three feet over, it wouldn't be haunted because of what she talked about with the tunneling that these um, negative demonic forces were using. Mm -hmm. But in the same token, she looked at my daughter, and she said, has your daughter been complaining about pain in her shoulder? And I thought, uh, yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact, she has. Why? I mean, I didn't even think of of that being something spiritual. I, I, was, I was floored when she asked me and she said, well, she has an attachment on her back. And it's a, and I said to her, yeah, she's been complaining about a lot of pain. She said, well, she's got an attachment on her back. And, and I'm not surprised because it's a big one, too. And then she did something energetically with her hand. That she, she retrieved it off of her, threw it down. She and this other, uh, this gentleman that was with her were stomping it into the, the ground. And she said to me, she said, ask your daughter how her shoulder feels now. And I said, hey, Brittany, I said, um, how's your shoulder feeling, sweetie? She started moving and doing this. And then she started doing this swinging thing like this, like a helicopter with her arm. And she said, it doesn't hurt. The pain was gone and it never came back on her shoulder ever again. So it's been what I what I have um, learned through this is that a lot of times people who may have an attachment causing pain, they're seeking medication to relieve the pain and they become addicted to the substance when normally they wouldn't have an addiction if they weren't seeking relief for for the pain which is very very real so um i do believe that they they can wear you down that they can create illness in the sense that they deprive you of your sleep um you know when, without sleep there are, you're weak in your immune system and and that sort of thing so, so you I, like the physical like physical trauma translates to spiritual as well right like it's all connected it is, it is all connected. Yes. When people have had that trauma, their, their auric field is splotchy and they have dent, what I call cracks in the windshield. And if those things aren't sealed and protected and their auric field extended outwards so that the things are simply bumping up against it and coming off that, that they can, that these things can attach themselves to the people and create havoc in their lives and pain and, and all kinds of things that take, like I said, uh, you know, cause them not to sleep well, which then can cause depression, which then can cause a whole slew of other things. And when there are negative um, energies around you, if you have something in your body that's festering that you're not even aware of, they can exacerbate it. And when you see these things, Lynn, because most people, this is so out of their, their wheelhouse, right? Is this like clear as day for you? And when you talk about like, you know, pulling attachments off, are you, do you feel something physically or is it, what, what is that like, like from your point of view? 
Um, it, with the first, with the first, I'm sorry, what was the first part of that question again? Um, just think, what, what does it look like from your point of view? Because m most people don't see these things. We okay. don't see like, you know, in our whatever limited vision um, for you. Is it like, is it clear as day? Like me and you talking right now, or mm -hmm. what is it? What does it look like? The way that I see spirits is that out of my peripheral vision, I can see them as clear as I can see you. I can even tell if they're close enough, what their eye color is, what their hair color is, what they have on. And yes, everybody's spirits show up in clothes. They always show up. Well, I've only seen one naked ghost and that's book number three. And I have a picture of him, but he was a pervert that was going from townhouse to townhouse, pulling down women's underwear and crawling in bed with them in the middle of the night. Oh boy. But I've only seen, other than that, they always show up in clothes because especially when you're transitioning, nobody wants to see mom naked. You know, if she's been there first and if she comes over to greet you, and help you transition over, you'd be like, mom, please, you know, get some clothes on. So, so they do, um, they do show up in clothes. So when they're in front of me, I, how it looks to me is like, for instance, when you are outside in the daylight of say a shopping mall and you're walking towards the JCPenney with all of that glass in front and you're seeing your reflection in that, that glass, they appear to me that way, the way that you appear in that glass kind of opaque. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They appear to me that way. I don't see the colors as much as more of the misting effect of it from a distance. And when they are very, very close to me, I see an energetic waffling in the air that appears like gas fumes or the heat come vapors coming off of a off of a hot road because, you know, we are energy. I mean, there's a there's a, a, a synapse, for lack of a better word, in our heart that every time your heart beats, it has an electric, it shows an electric spark. Sure. So, uh, or synapse, I'm sorry. And um, so we are electric. We're made of electric and water. And the thing about it is, is because we, electricity is energy. And if you want to take it from a scientific um, aspect, you know, energy can't be created or destroyed. So that energy has to go somewhere. Our thoughts are energy. Our verbalizations are energy. Everything, you know, there is, is energy that way. So, yeah. Interesting. So, so, so I see the waffling of the air, which is, which is energetic. So I know that they're still there. And when you're pulling them off, do you feel anything or is it just um, like grabbing the air? Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's like, because I can see it, um, it's more like grabbing air almost, but yet I can see that it's coming away and I can see them falling away, mm -hmm. which then I try to stop the, ne the negativity. I, something just told me to stomp them in the ground. So I do that. And that's what I've seen other people do with negative things. Like when the, um, when the attachment was removed from my daughter, when she was having pain, they stomped it into the ground. Mm -hmm. So there's something neutralizing for them in the ground um that that you need to station them there for lack of a better better word this must be a terrifying thing to have to experience especially like if it, if this started at five years old i mean how did you deal with this i mean were you not traumatized by it no because it you know it wasn't just me seeing them my siblings were seeing them too and it was commonplace for us you know i mean like I, I, you know there's a door there's a toaster there's a dead person so we, we, we just grew up seeing those things. I didn't become traumatized by it until 
I went through that junk with, with another religion that terrified me with my gifts. And the thing is, too, is being in the nursing profession, having to deal with people's body parts, you know, you become desensitized to seeing certain things over and over again. You know, everything on a person's body, whether it's below the belly button or not, looks like a big toe to you. You know what I'm saying? So you don't look at, you look at it differently. Mm-hmm. You, um, you look at it professionally, not, not amorously for lack of a, a better word. Mm-hmm. So, so you shift into that, into that mode of, of that. And also being in end of life care, having to assist people to cross over and more so being support for people's families and seeing all of these people leave and the beauty of it, um, you also have to shift into the nursing mode. My my children asked me questions as they were growing up sometimes. And I'm like, wait a minute, let me shift into mommy nurse. Cause you know, cause then I'm going to tell it to you like a nurse and then I'll switch back into to regular mommy because some of the topics were like shocking to me. And I'm like, wait a minute, how would I explain this to someone else's child if it wasn't mine? So I stepped into nurse mode instead of mommy mode and was able to answer their question based on fact, not my opinion. So, um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things. And the medical field sees these things that that people see, especially getting close to the time of their death, that they call hallucinations, which is another thing that Jerry and I have connected on. And they're not hallucinations. I mean, I've had multiple stories. I don't know if you've heard the one about Edna, the blind lady, on one of my other shows. I think so. Okay, I'd be be happy to share that one with you because this one cannot be disputed. There's no way because a blind person can't see. Mm -hmm. So how can you hallucinate if you can't see? (laughs) So Edna was a patient of mine. She'd been on the unit for about two weeks And she was in an active, she was kind of in that rallying stage where she was transitioning, but she was kind of coming back and forth for a little bit. And her daughter and her son came to the nurse's station and they said to me, mom's talking to people in the room that aren't there. Well, the people transitioning aren't uncomfortable with the spirits being in the room, but the people in the physical body are, are, don't like being in a room with a ghost. Or, or a spirit, it makes them uncomfortable. So they run to get me and get the medicine to shut the person up, basically. So um, I went down to the room. I, I told him, I said, you know, let me walk down to the your mama's room with you and see if, uh, you know, maybe she needs something to make her more comfortable. Really, I was walking down to appease them because I knew that their mom was okay. I, I expected this to happen. I'd seen it happen many times before. So I walked into the room and um, Edna's sitting at a slant. And she's smiling very broadly, and she's reaching up into the air, reaching as if something very fragile is being handed to her, very delicate because of how careful she was being with what it was she was receiving. And I said, Edna, I said, who's here? And she said, George. Well, her daughter turned as white as a sheet and had to sit down. And she said, um, well, George, George is my my father, and my father's been gone for X amount of years. And then Edna pipes up again and she says, and he's glad you're taking good care of Pixie. Pixie was Edna's poodle. And when George passed away, the son had to take possession of Pixie because Edna couldn't care for the dog anymore. And now the dog was like, 
and 13 or 14 years old and still alive, a very old dog, but still, you know, still alive. And um, so the son came forward and told me that he had possession of the dog and what had happened with that. And he says, do you think that my mom is hallucinating? And I said, well, I can't come out medically and say, no, I think your dad's here. You know, um, this is a good thing. So I turned it around and I said, well, do you think that your mom is hallucinating? And he said to me, well, uh, I don't know. And I said, well, would you mind if I try something? I said, I'm not trying to change your belief system or anything like that. But in all of the years that I have done this and been in this field, I have seen things and I have, you know, it's commonplace for loved ones to start coming in from the other side to help another loved one transition over. They never cross alone, even if there's not a physical body in the room. There are spirit bodies in the room, so they never die alone. So, and we don't die people too, by the way, we just shed our skin and our we, we go on. So we don't die and you will see them again. But so I, I asked Edna, I said, Edna, can I ask George a question? She nodded her head, yes. And I said, George, I said, what color is your son's shirt? And Edna said, yellow. Her son was wearing a yellow Ralph Lauren polo shirt with short sleeves. And all here, the son got it in that moment. And he's like, hi, dad. The thing that people miss about, about um, people transitioning is that the filters start to efface where the person that's transitioning, same as children before the filters have built up, can hear the telepathy from the spiritual world as well as they can hear the physical communication for people that are in physical body. They can hear both. So this is an opportunity for people to speak to the other side and lost and, and deceased loved ones on the other side themselves and get questions answered. I mean, how many times have you, you know, heard somebody say, oh, well, I wish I could tell so-and-so that I love them one more time, or that I'm sorry, or ask Uncle Bob what he did with the clock. This is your time. And so many people miss it because they're uncomfortable with the thought of a ghost being in the room, um, you know, answering their questions. And of course, the spirit that you want to speak to needs to be present in the room when you ask these questions. And you can send for them also with, you know, in the case of George, if they wanted to talk to their somebody else, George could have retrieved them for them and let them know when they were in the room. But people miss this time frame where it would give them the opportunity to speak to the other side as well. So you've definitely seen, you know, family members come in and positive um, spirits come in. Is there ever any, um, you know, negative stuff that comes in during this process? You know, I have seen hundreds of people pass away and there are three different kinds of death. There's of course a natural death, which most of us have. There's sudden death, which is handled differently on the other side. And there's near death experience, which is a whole nother um, type thing. I have only seen one person fight death for 10 days and it was a man. And I don't know if he was waiting for someone to come or what the reason was, but the room didn't fill up with loved ones and, and beautiful. There are angels. There are these other beings there that are a whole nother ball game. Uh, they appear to be from somewhere else. So when people talk about the galactic versus the spiritual, it's all combined. Um, everybody's right. So, um, which I, to just veer off of that for a minute and then please help me get back on track with that. But, cause I want to finish that. What people, 
what people don't consider is the fact that with every star that is in the sky, it could be a sunshine to another solar system that's in the far out, farther out galaxies. And in those solar systems, there can be other beings like us or similar to us that are living there. They also are made up of energy. So when their time comes to finish where they're at, they need to go someplace too. So in the case of when I saw my mother crossing over, there were these magnificent beings of light that were very, very tall. Their heads were like half in and out of the 10 foot ceiling. So I knew that they were at least 10 feet tall that walked along with the angels that assisted um, my mother to, to cross when she went to leave. So um, to get back on track with that, um, sorry, I kind you of got myself. In the, Pardon me? You mentioned the galactic and... Yes. Um, oh, what you were saying about the 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 dark souls i i don't i was not there the day that when that man passed away and i don't know for sure what came and got him but he did fight death for 10 days personally myself the angels energy and the positive energy when they come in to help collect the people to transition kind of pushes out anything that is negative i have seen negative spirits after their passing i have seen like I said, I had a hell dog in that the house that I was living in. And it's amazing some of the drawings, how much things like that look similar to what I had in the house up close and personal. And I was exposed to it so much that I desensitized. Am I afraid of demons? No, but I do have a mutual respect. I Demons are above my pay grade. I don't like having to deal with them. I will do it for close friends and family only if I have to. Um, you know, like to to help remove something or get it to move along. They do have an intelligence about them and you don't want to make fun of them, but I will leave them alone as long as they leave me alone. And that's kind of that common understanding. But they know me by my first name. So, you know, I, I guess you could say I'm haunted already. Most of us that are into this empathic, um, we're all empaths if you're doing, even you, you know, with this sort of, of podcasting because the interest is there. We are empaths. Most of us are incarnates versus reincarnates, which there is a difference. Reincarnates come back because they have lessons to learn. Incarnates have completed a great deal of that, so they come in voluntarily to assist. So when the incarnate crosses over, they do go through their life review like the reincarnate. They do go through the hall of the akashic records and they get to also see opportunities that they missed but they go through more of a debriefing and then they go on to wherever else they want to go and the uh, people that are reincarnated then go instead of being debriefed they go through schooling and they're returned back back in although the earth right now is shifting the energy is shifting and they may not be sent back here but they will be sent somewhere else because the people remaining here are going to be at a higher dimension mm, yeah I've, I've discussed that on the show a lot um but before i forget um so the thing i also hear a lot is that there are a lot of trickster beings who can pose as light beings how do you know the difference and you know that what you're dealing with isn't really just a trickster being posing as as a positive being how you can tell that um and and also remind me to tell you about how to tell which mirrors or portals in your house how you tell that is, event, of course, they start out, they present as your loved one, they sound like your loved one, but there's going to come a point 
where they're going to start to ask you to do things that you know, either A, you're not supposed to do, or B, that that's not something that your mother would ask you to do. You know, oh, go, go cut your dog's head off. You know that your mother's not going to ask you to go cut your dog's head off. And this is when you confront them and you say, you're not my mother. You're not my mother. And they will start to laugh and dissipate and disappear in a lot of cases. So when in doubt, you can accuse them of not being the person that they are. And if they are the person, they will remain. Um, If they're not they will start to dissipate, but they will challenge you a few times first and they may show up more than once. So you may have to do it more than once. So, but again, you know, they're, they're, there are the tricksters. So you have to be very, very careful again, when you are doing something like meditation um, or sorts of things to draw in the energies to protect yourself again, to keep those sorts of things away. But any time that you confront a negative spirit or or insist that they tell you their name for that matter, or you confront them, they the, the gig is up. They usually will dissipate and move on, or they'll try another avenue, and you have to keep, you know, sending them off and and you know understanding that that if something is telling you to do something that you know the person would never. And you know, the thing about the tricksters too, I wanted to add this. They can be tricksters because they watch everything that you do. They hear everything that you say, even things that you might have forgotten about even discussing with somebody. So when they come back, they'll be like, oh, do you remember the time that you stepped in a pile of dog dew and you ruined your green shoes? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and maybe a friend has passed away that, that was with you when that happened they can try to convince them that they're that friend because they were with them when that happened. And I don't mean to pick something gross. I had to pick something off the top of my head, but I'm just saying to you. So there are familiarities because they watch and they listen and they retain, they have nothing else to do. You know, they, they don't have to worry about paying taxes or working. So it's entertainment for them to collect everything that they hear you saying or actions that you're doing where if we look through our day, we're lucky if we even remember what we ate for dinner last night. So because we're so busy and they remember every little thing. So they could be like, oh, this is Sandra. Do you remember the time that we went camping and you lost, you know, you 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 lost your toothbrush or something like that because they were watching? It's mm-hmm. not because they're Sandra, it's because they remember that act and they're trying to pose as that person so that they can manipulate you into further down the road doing acts that you normally would not do. Mm-hmm. And along these same lines, Lynn, I have to ask you a, a really big topic I've discussed on the show with various people is this thing that people are calling the soul trap. Um, people, especially who have NDEs, they see the white light. And now a lot of people are saying, Um, that the white light is actually a trap and sends you back into reincarnation. Do you have any thoughts on, on that? Or what, what do your experiences tell you? You know, that if it were a soul trap, um, you wouldn't, the thing about NDEs um, is that a lot of them, um, for one thing, they don't get the reception that, that, that the others usually get. They don't really meet up with their loved ones on the other side, except for maybe one, Usually they meet up with somebody that's coming up in their future or a one being that, you know, that, that kind of walks through them with things. Sometimes they are able to, to view their Akashic records 
and look at some of the things that they've done to turn their life around so that they make a difference when they come back. But um, the thing about the, um, I'm sorry, please ask me that again so I can make sure that I'm clearly answering that. Your, your the, soul idea, trap. The, the white light, whether it's a trap, but people shouldn't go into it or, you know, what happens if you don't go into it? Like, what are your thoughts on that? And a lot of people, you know, they also um, they don't know how they feel about I don't know how I feel about this whole aspect of like life as a school type of thing. If we're meant to be reincarnating mm -hmm. or we're just trapped in a in a kind of loop that is being uh, that run by negative entities. Yeah, you're not trapped in a loop. I'm not trapped in a loop. We volunteered to be here for some insane reason, for whatever is going to transition and change in the world. And we will know what our purpose is when that happens. Everything will open up at that time. We are not stuck in a loop. We chose to be here. So the people in reincarnation are in somewhat of a loop until they meet their goals. But when you come to that point of experiencing the light you will innately know the difference. So if you're continuing to pass forward, I have had a near-death experience. My father had a near-death experience. I remember going up through the clouds and I remember actually stopping on a cloud and they did end up sending me back. I had had a surgery and I had a vein that was bleeding in my chest. Mm. So that, that was that was caught. And I, I was bargaining because I was a single mother to, I had a two-year-old at the time and I'm like, no. You know, I, I don't want to go. You can send me back. So sometimes you do have that choice. But the thing is, is a lot of things aren't made known to you during those NDEs that you would have made known to, known to you if you continued on. You know, um, information that, that you would have that you may not get to come back with people with NDEs, always come back with beautiful information, gifts that to share with the world of things that they learned. But they're not given everything if that makes sense sometimes they go through a tunnel sometimes they cross over a bridge sometimes they show up in a meadow sometimes they remember going up through the clouds you know they they all have different ways of doing it yet there are similarities because a lot of people talk about the tunnel with the golden stars and things like that it's an inner knowing and yes they're they're you know because you're kind of in between that plane and you're going up through um i've never I've never heard of anybody mentioning that I've seen past, you know, worried about getting tied up in that soul trap or whatever. It's all how you look at it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying too? Part of it. Mm -hmm. um, because like there I said, some weird situations that people have described, you know, being like tricked back into their bodies and things like that, that, that people are having a hard time with. Well, let me tell you, we have multiple times during our lifetime that we have the option to leave leave permanently. Okay. And the thing is, and, and suicide is not one of them. So, um, you know, don't think you, you, if you want to leave early, you have these options to leave. If you are trying, if you're leaving before one of those times, you will be sent back because you're not finished, but you'll also be told. So it's not necessarily tricking. It's just not their time yet. So in, and in the case, and I mentioned suicide. So I want to mention this because a lot of people have had this touch on their lives. Yeah, please. Suicide is never, ever, 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 ever something that you should do. However, medically induced suicide is different because the person is already getting ready to pass from a chronic illness. And instead of waiting it out, they want to choose their day 
it is not seen at, at the same way on the other side as, for instance, someone who does it out of spite to get even with a loved one or selfishness for that matter. And also people that are suffering from mental illness. It is looked at differently on the, on the, you know, on that side, somebody that's been through trauma and they're suffering from depression or they're suffering from, you know, some issue that way. It is also looked at differently because they have walked, you know, walked along with you. But um, as far as the other suit and the reason why it is looked at, frowned upon on both this side and the other side is because we have, we have contracts here. We do have contracts here to complete. And there are other people that are relying on us being here in order to accomplish, accomplish theirs. If you end your life at 21 years old and you've got three kids waiting to come in and one of them is going to have the cure for cancer, it creates a rippling effect for generations to come because that person never got to be born the way that they were supposed to. And, and they eventually do get born, but not through you. New arrangements have to be made, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that rippling, that negative rippling effect, it, it creates a vacuum is what it does too. It creates a vacuum in, in the, uh, the different layers uh, between even here and, and the other side, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But again, I, don't, I want it to be clear to people, if your loved one had mental illness or they accidentally overdosed or something like that, which drug addiction is considered a form of, it's, it's, it's not a mental illness per se, but yet it kind of is. And in the spiritual world, it is seen as that. So not that suicide should be caused with, with sleeping pills, but a lot of, or, or something like that on purpose. And another thing too, when it comes to addiction and the Archon reattaching, the thing that people don't realize is when they had been off of a drug or a substance for a month or two, the body metabolism shifts so that if they do start back on the drug, it should be started at a much lower dose than the dose that they left off with to get that high. What they do is they start off with that higher dose that they originally left off of, and that's what kills them. So, and people don't realize that too, that your body shifts and changes and it can't handle the large dose that you were taking before you passed away because you built up to that and your body became used to it. It becomes, it totally shifts after a couple of months or even 30 days for that matter um, to shifting that it can't tolerate that high of a dose. And that's where a lot of people make that mistake and they start back at a dose that they were taking before. And that's what it'll take them out. Mm -hmm. So, but so generally speaking, are there negative repercussions to suicide? Would you say? Um, the, people that commit suicide do not go to hell. They're not given the reunion. They don't. Um, in the case of suicide, somebody has done it for spite. The other two, they get the, the reunion. They, they get to meet with their loved ones and everything like that because the understanding is different. In the case of somebody that does it out of spite or for selfish reasons, just to maybe get even with somebody, they linger for a little while on the earth to kind of see some of what what the sorrow and things like that that they have created one being usually comes to be with them but it's not someone that they know from this lifetime or another lifetime it's usually a, a much higher being that comes to attend with them um they're then taken they do go through their life review they do 
look at the um, the Akashic records, and they are then placed into schooling, a lot of it, and they are returned into a lifetime, sometimes even worse than the one that they originally had, all the traumas, all the dramas, all the abuses, whatever, and they're put back through because they need to be able to come to that point and follow through and finish that lifetime, not cutting it short. Because mm-hmm. the lesson, because they're also cutting the lesson in it for them short by committing that suicide too early, as, as well as thwarting other people's um, need to grow by being here or having them in their life. I know we have just a few minutes, but I wanted to mention the mirrors that you said the mirrors are are portals. Maybe we can finish up on that. Yes, um, mirrors. Some mirrors can be portals. And the way that you distinguish the difference is if you go up to a mirror and you take your finger and you touch that mirror. Okay, you touch the mirror. So in the mirror, you're going to see a reflection that looks like this when you touch the mirror. If it's a portal it will look like this when you touch the mirror. There will be a distinct separation between your fingers. Instead of looking like this, if you touch the mirror, it's an exact copy of your fingers. And that is how you tell the difference. Now you're going to go all over the house and touch all of your mirrors. (laughs) (laughs) What is it about mirrors that that make them portals? You know, I'm not sure, but I know that a lot of times uh, there are certain entities that will avoid mirrors. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know why they say, oh, it's because of the reflection that they can see, but they can, there, there is no reflection, you know, so I'm not sure how how that part is, but that's kind of why people, the old superstition that people put something over a mirror and a clock yeah, when somebody heard... passes away to yeah. cover that mirror because of the portals. And when people do cross, they do leave portals open because they have to go through one in order to leave. So, um, Yeah. But that's why, but but you don't want to have those portals left open. And if you do have a mirror that turns out to be a portal, I would suggest removing it from your house. And don't give it to any of your friends either. You know, just kind of uh, break it or throw it away. Breaking it would be good, oh, you no. know, and then throw it away. So, um, but yeah, so people, again, you're going to see an exact perfect reflection of your fingertips. And if there's any separation at all when you touch that mirror that is a portal all right well leave your comment <laughs> let me know if you have any mirror portals in your, in your apartment or house i want to know um and uh tell people really quickly where they can grab your books and follow up with uh some of your other work my books are all over they're on amazon uh, barnes and noble or even some of them you can order through walmart however not all of them are on there i've held some of them onto my website only which is www.linlynmonet, like the painter.com. That's www.linmonet.com, um, where most all of my books can be gotten from there. And they cost the same as Amazon. And I personalize them for you. I will sign them. You can get ebooks there. You can get uh, paperback books. I'm getting ready to do um, the audio books. I'm trying to figure out how to get that done for people so they can listen to it when they drive if they're not much of a reader, but they do like listening to stuff. So I'm working on that as well. Um, I've got um, 
um, I'm getting ready to revamp my website in the next two days where calendars will be so that if you want to follow some of the things that I've done or, or see me live on shows that you can come and approach that so you can ask me questions directly. You can also get a, through, get a hold of me through the email that's attached to the um, website if you're having some problems and I still answer my own uh, emails at this point. It might take me a day or two, but I will answer you and be happy to see what I can do to help you. Awesome. And, Thank and you so my- much for being here, Lynn. And uh, if you guys appreciate this podcast, you can also hit the donation link in my caption. Um, that is always appreciated. Lynn, thank you so much. Okay. For being- don't forget to for give being- it a thumb. Sorry. Give it a thumbs up and subscribe. Don't forget about that part. Yes, please. Thumbs up, comment, <laughs> subscription. Always appreciate I always forget to mention those things. So thank you. Um, Lynn, thank you so much again. And uh, It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.